Welcome to the Beyond Birth Podcast. Join us each week as we take the conversation of motherhood beyond birth. I'm your co-host, Liz Winters, a nutritional therapy practitioner, certified pre and postnatal coach, and mama. I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Jenny Anderson, yoga teacher, full spectrum doula, and mama. Our hope is to inspire, educate, and empower women as they navigate pregnancy, postpartum, and parenthood with evidence-based guidance, informative interviews, and hopefully entertaining anecdotes from our perspectives as moms, entrepreneurs, and birth professionals. While you're listening, please keep in mind that the information on this podcast is for general purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. Thanks so much for joining us. Hello all, and welcome to another episode of the Beyond Birth Podcast. Liz here, and today I am sitting down with Eve Bernfeld. Eve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Liz. I'm very happy to be here. I am so excited to have you here. You have been someone I've been trying to get on the show for so long, and it's been kind of a scheduling up and down and all over the place. The fault is entirely Mm -hmm. of my own. Um, (laughs) So I'm excited that we actually have this opportunity to connect today. Me too. Yes. Uh, I would love to read your bio so people have an idea of who we're sitting down with today because you are a fascinating human and I'm just excited for our listeners to get to know you. So here we go. Um, Eve explores, teaches, and writes about how to be more present in our lives. She is a mom to five-year-old triplets, yes, five-year-old triplets, and has found them to be the best inspiration for all of her work. Her background is in Alexander Technique and theater, and her foreground in Portland, Oregon, includes hiking, baking, reading aloud, owning a small business, and being an adjunct professor. Yes. Triplets. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more about your experience parenting triplets. And, and I just imagine that theater comes in so handy, but I feel like it's going to, well, based on what our conversation is going to be today, it's going to come in handy in more ways than people um, would consider. Talk, talk to me more about that. Yes. Well, um, it's like having my own little theater troupe. I mean, that's, that's handy. Totally. and it's really interesting. I mean, given the the kind of state of the world right now, I'm I'm sitting at my desk right now and I'm looking at this picture that I have of a, a grizzly bear mom who has triplets. So it's her and her triplet cubs, which she had her triplets the same year I had mine. Although I think it was not her first set of triplets. Um, it was my my only set. But um, my kids, you know, once they got to school, it was such a like, oh, now now I have space. And um, given that we're all staying home and there's no school anymore for the time being, I'm, they're right back here in my life. So, um, you know, in my life, 24 hours a day. So it's interesting. But I think that, that having a, a sibling your own age or two is very helpful for entertaining yourself. I feel sorry for the moms I know who have one kid at home. Right. That's, that's our case over here. We are the entertainment and the social sphere and all of that going on right now, which is, which is definitely tricky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how are they handling? Like, I'm so curious because I know like as adults, we handle stress differently. And like this, this is a very, you know, it's truly like a stressful time and it manifests differently for people. But how are, how are you seeing, you know, your kiddos handle the, the stress of this or the, this, the unknown, the change that's happening? Yeah, so far, very well. I mean, it almost makes me wonder, like, what what's going on under the surface? 
One of my daughters has several times talked about how much she misses her teacher and her classmates. And today she brought up her PE teacher and her library teacher. You know, she's, she's going a little, little broader in all the people that she usually sees that she's sad to, to not see um, and friends. But in general, they're really resilient and um, fairly well taking it in stride. I'm kind of waiting for the, for the bottom to fall out and the huge screaming, crying fits, but that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Kids are remarkably resilient. I feel like we can learn so much from them and their ability to like go with the flow and roll and process. I mean, of course, until they are no longer willing, but they're, they're really remarkable. Um, I would say remarkable creatures, remarkable humans. Well, and it's funny though, that when you say that they, yeah, they can roll with it until they're, you know, until they're done. But I think that's another skill that adults lack. And and maybe this will sort of come up more in our, and as we go along in our conversation, but um, when kids are done, they're done. And adults are not so good at that either. You know, we, uh, we, oh, I'll just do a little more. Oh, I'll just take one more request or, oh, I'll just, oh, oh, sure. We're not so good at saying, no, I'm done. Oh, you're, you're so right. I mean, it's, it's, I, I feel like we lose that ability to see when we're done or like to be able to recognize like, Hey, this is my breaking point. Like I mm-hmm. am done or we get to the breaking point instead of stopping before we turn into like the three-year-old tantrum inside. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and this, this kind of, you know, social distancing or rather physical distancing that we're, we're all kind of sitting in right now really reminds me of, um, kind of those early postpartum days, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, (laughs) I was messaging one of my, one of my mamas and she's like, "Eh, my life isn't so different right now. Like I'm home with baby. Like, no, we're not having visitors. And I was like, yeah, but I mean, I think that there's still this element that can be missing from this time is like, how do we, you know, incorporate self-care and incorporate support when we have to be in this higher stress, more isolated scenario. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on how to do that? <laughs> I do. You know, it's, it's funny that we were scheduled to, to have this conversation months ago, as you, as you referenced. And I said, you know, I want to talk about some ways that I think we're getting self-care wrong. And then we had to reschedule. And in the meantime, I wrote six blogs. <laughs> you inspired me to write six blogs about ways that I feel like we're doing self-care wrong. So obviously I'm not going to go into everything that I wrote in six full blog posts, but um, it's, it's cool how, how that happened. Um, so now I'm looking back and I'm like, yeah, how can we take better care of ourselves? Um, and one thing that, that I'm noticing right now that I have written down here is that, that we tend to add things to our lives in order to take care of ourselves better instead of subtracting things. And I've seen this a little bit, you know, in, in myself in the last week as my life has radically changed. That it's like, okay, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna add yoga online, and I'm gonna, oh, and I'm gonna add, um, you know, maybe I can start posting videos for my for my clients, and maybe I can add this other thing and this other thing. And instead of taking this as a moment to say, whoa, like, stop. Um, I, I have this, this impulse to just try to replace the things that I was doing before with other things in a very frantic way. 
Um, and I think I'm not the only one. <laughs> I think a lot of, of people are just sort of trying to instantaneously shift their lives to be interacting in the same way that they were before, only online. Absolutely. And I think that maybe, that, I mean, that's great and it's valuable and it's awesome that there's all these resources available, but we also might all benefit from just taking a moment to pause and say, you know, there may have, been, I may have been doing too much before and maybe this is a chance to, to kind of organize what's important now. Um, because for myself, I'm suddenly homeschooling three kids. I wasn't doing that last week. So my work life can't look like it did last week. I may have to subtract some things. Um, but if I'm just frantically trying to just add more and more and more, that's not going to happen. And I certainly spent Monday really stressed out in that vein. And as the week has gone on, I'm like letting go of things and letting go of things. And I'm feeling a lot more, uh, you know, maybe put it this way, I'm feeling a lot less crazy. <laughs> totally. I, I, you, I feel like you really hit the, the nail on the head there. And I was just like, oh, you're spying on me because <laughs> I, and I, I love the reframe that you gave it because I think especially, you know, you and I are both small business owners and mm -hmm. can, who conduct the majority of our work in person. Like I, I do online stuff, but you know, I, I enjoy connecting with people, mm -hmm. you know, placing hands on bodies, being in that space and all of a sudden yeah. there mm -hmm. was this big pivot that, you know, I, and I've, I've chosen to take a lot of my stuff online, but mm -hmm. it was like, how much do I need to do online? Like how much do I need to show up? Oh wait, now I have, um, my daughter is at home and, and like, how do I show up for her? And my partner is here too. So it's all about, you know, finding this new balance. And I love you're just reminding people that they have permission to subtract instead of add. Cause I look at a lot of my friends with school age kids who are again, trying to do what I think seems impossible in still showing up for work in the exact same way that they are just virtually. Um, mm -hmm. and also, you know, being expected to have this perfectly manicured schedule for their kids or, right. you know, have this totally relaxing time for their kids, you know, whichever end of the spectrum you need to fall into. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's just, it feels like it's another space in parenting where we can't win, right? Like it's just, we're not setting ourselves up for success. Yep. I was on a, a call. I, I, as you mentioned, I'm an adjunct professor at Lewis and Clark college. And I was on a zoom call the other day with a bunch of professors on the topic of teaching virtually, which we now are all doing. And someone commented, she said, I, I thought I was just going to teach my class on zoom. And I've realized this week that sitting up at my computer all day gives me a migraine. I, I cannot do that. So, um, you know, hopefully we don't need to have quite as strong a message as a migraine to, to kind of back off and, and look at what's, what's possible and what's important for us to be doing right now. Absolutely. Do you have any like tips or tricks about ways that we can manage the, like the stress, both the physical and the emotional, because mm -hmm. I mean, the emotional stress is going to manifest in our body physically as Absolutely. well as we move online. I mean, cause the move online yes. is going to be more, more so, but you know, other than scaling back, are there other ways? Well, I think another way that I really like to even, you know, prior to all of this interesting, <laughs> interesting stuff. Um, one of the things that I like to encourage people to do when, when we're talking about self-care, we often think about it 
we sort of frame it in, in hours, like hour long chunks, like, oh, I could go to a yoga class and that's about an hour, or I could have a massage and that's about an hour of my time. And, and especially for moms, um, especially for moms who are business owners and, you know, we often don't have hours the way we used to. I mean, I certainly don't. So I like to free people to think, okay, well, maybe I, I have seconds. <laughs> I have seconds that I could devote to, to self-care and possibly even I, I might even have minutes at a time that I could devote to self-care. And that might be a much easier and more fruitful way um, because minutes throughout the day could add up to a significant amount of time, even if I don't have an hour. So I have a, I have a little formula that we can, you know, that I want to offer to you and, and all the listeners that we can try when we only have seconds to care for ourselves. And it's, oh. it's a four step thing. And um, the teacher that I learned it from calls it the ready list. So step one, you ready? <laughs> I am so ready for this. I needed you this morning. <laughs> Well, you have this afternoon now. Perfect. Um, step one is stop. Because, I mean, I've, I've already think I said the word pause many times already. That's the most powerful tool of my work, the Alexander Technique, is just stopping or pausing or saying no to that kind of incessant scurrying that we're doing, either physically or mentally, um, which makes it very hard to get ourselves into balance. So first we stop. And then we see where we are, which in the world of, oh, now I'm doing everything online, means looking away from the screen. So right now, I'm looking, I'm looking at the wall in front of me. I'm looking at the picture I referenced of the grizzly bears. And I can even see out the window. I can see the books on the bookshelves. So bringing myself back to the real actual space that I'm in just by seeing it is very grounding. And then the next step is breathe. When we are experiencing any kind of stress or anxiety, or when we're concentrating, which in a way is, is a sort of a form of stress, we tend to stop breathing or breathe very shallowly. So um, I have a little game that I invite people to play. And I say that, you know, imagine that I have broken a pillow in the room with, you know, where you are, and there's little feathers flying around and you're not gonna wave them away with your hands, but you might gently blow out your breath in order to blow away a feather. So I don't know if you'll even hear it on my headset, but it's like, you just gently blow out your breath and you do that two or three times. And the magic of it is when you blow your breath out, it comes back in. Um, of course, it's not magic. It's just, it's just air pressure, but it makes a difference in getting the breath moving in a way that's really easy and not take a deep breath, which sometimes causes us to kind of freeze. So the steps so far, can I recap? Please, yes. We stop. We see the room. We breathe. And then the last step is that we think of ourselves as being soft and tall, which I think is a fascinating phrase and really kind of gets to the heart of, of the Alexander technique, which I teach, um, which is not like other ways that we often conceive of ourselves being upright. Often we, we associate being tall with rather a lot of 
muscular rigidity, like sit up straight. You know, we can all do that right now in that kind of drill sergeant or, you know, your grandmother poking you in the back kind of way. Um, and we associate softness with just kind of collapsing. Blah. But the idea that maybe we can be soft and tall at the same time in a way that's easy, in a way that allows us to breathe, could be, well, it can take a lot less effort. It can be quite helpful for people. So I invite people throughout the day, you know, twice a day, eight times a day, 15 times a day, and it's up to you to just say, stop, see, breathe, soft and tall, and then go on. You may find when you do that, that when you go, because that's kind of the last step, you started with stop, you end with go, you may find you don't need to do what you thought you needed to do, or at least you don't need to do it while grinding your teeth and holding your breath and having your shoulders up to your ears. Oh, I love this so much. I walked through that little breathing piece as you were doing it. And I was like, oh, oh good. I am so much calmer. And I love this concept of being soft and tall, because as soon as you say tall to somebody, I, I can see it in my athletes, you know, we all get rigid, like just mm -hmm. like you were saying. The thought of being soft, like I, you know, as soon as I say that, like my shoulders melt away from my ears, you know, my mm -hmm. belly gets soft, which means I can actually get all that air in there instead of keeping yeah. it shallow. Mm -hmm. And again, I love that it's <clears throat> this process. It doesn't take a long time, but it creates just enough space between whatever is, you know, causing that incessant scurrying. I love that visual you gave us because I think that's something I feel so much as a parent and as a small business owner is this, this constant need to go, 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 go. But it's enough space that we can actually have the opportunity to ask ourselves, do I need to be doing what I need to be doing right now? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and pivot from there. Right. Yes. And I, I really like the word pivot that, yeah, sometimes we really need to, but if we don't pause, we won't notice. Yes, absolutely. Oh, this is so wonderful. Um, so you've mentioned a few times the concept of Alexander technique. Mm -hmm. And I remember this from studying music and theater in college. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to just take a guess that 90% of our listeners <laughs> don't know what this is. Oh, maybe 95%. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's probably fair. Um, could, could you explain what it is? Yes, I will try to. Um, yeah, I know, tough, but yeah. <laughs> the Alexander Technique is a method of self-development or education, and it's named for a man named Frederick Matthias Alexander, who ran about the 1890s, he was an actor who, who was starting to lose his voice, and, and that was the problem for an actor, <laughs> and nobody could help him. So he decided to try to figure out what he was doing to himself that was contributing to the problems he was having, which is a big leap. Most of us, when we have a problem, we reach out and ask like, you know, somebody fix me. And, and Alexander had done that too, but it didn't work. So he made this really interesting step of saying, well, maybe I'm doing something and what could it be? And he noticed um, that when he started looking at himself in some mirrors, he set up three mirrors so he could see himself uh, reciting his lines and he noticed he had some very strange motor patterns, some strange body movements associated with, with performing that in a nutshell involved really being very, very rigid. In particular, really 
stiffening his neck and doing some funny stuff with his head. Um, and he started to, to notice, well, that could be a problem. And it, he figured out how to not do that. So getting back to some of these things I've referenced, um, pausing, you know, he learned that he had to stop himself um, because the patterns that he was engaged in were totally habitual. Um, but long story short, he solved his problem by learning to stop doing these habitual body movements. And not only did his voice get better, but like everything improved. It's very surprising. So he started working with other people and teaching them his work. It became known eventually as the Alexander Technique. And um, he taught until 10, you know, within 10 days of his death in 1955. So it has this history, this work that I do of um, performers studying it. You know, you referenced theater and music. That's primarily the, the group of people that has heard of this work. But he kind of stumbled upon principles of human functioning that way transcend theater and music. Um, and it was totally by accident. But we have found, um, he found it certainly anecdotally in his life, and there's also been some large-scale clinical studies to back this up, that basically learning to stop our bad habits of movement can have all kinds of good effects on us, like improving back pain, improving neck pain, um, helping people cope with things like Parkinson's disease, helping older people move better. Um, I work a lot with moms <laughs> and, and helping moms not experience the expected back pain in pregnancy, um, or at least minimize it by learning how to stop doing these maladaptive uh, automatic ways of posturing. So that's, that's kind of my <laughs> quick and dirty description yeah. of Alexander technique. That's so wonderful. Cause again, it's, it's encouraging people to connect with their bodies, right. And, and yes. really understand what's happening. Um, when, when you're talking about this, I think about how stress manifests in the bodies and we, and we kind of talked about it with like the shoulders up by the ears or that rigidity. Yep. But I, I also think about this concept of like fight, fight or freeze. Mm -hmm. And like my, my daughter was at the park the other day and she was um, on the swings and she wanted to go higher and higher. And she got to a point where she got scared mm -hmm. and she froze grit, like white knuckled on the, on the chains, but then she held her breath too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and just that kind of rigidity, like just took over. And it's just really interesting to see how that happens. And I, I feel like we can see that happen in like laboring moms, right? Yes. Going through the birthing process. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk, are there, are there specific cues you could, you would give somebody um, or like me as a parent, like as I'm, I'm working with my daughter to like bring her out of that freeze mode? Yes. And I'm actually, I'll back up a little bit. And I, one of the things that Alexander observed over his lifetime and, and he wrote books and he trained teachers and he described us all <laughs> humanity um, as having an unduly excited fear response, which is just his very kind of old fashioned poetic way of saying exactly what you've just talked about this, that we get stuck in this fight or flight or freeze situation. And he was very, very aware of that. And I think it's really important to point that out now because I think it's, it's been heightened in the last, you know, few weeks <laughs> for all of us. Like, oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> it's really, really happening. 
And, um, and not to repeat myself, but the, this ready list is really good for that. Um, particularly blowing the breath out. Um, because that jump starts breathing, you know, like you noticed, as you noticed with your daughter, this like, ah, holding and rigid and no breathing happening. And it's very hard in that situation. If someone says, take a deep breath, it doesn't necessarily work. Um, we try to breathe and sometimes we feel like we can't and then we get more panicked. But if we blow the breath out, and in fact, um, I learned this from an Alexander teacher who's also a doula that I trained with. She says, when in doubt, blow out. And that's exactly the advice she gives to pregnant moms. It's exactly the advice to give, I give to my own children. Um, if we can start the breathing going through exhaling, then we're going to just start to chip away a little bit at that, um, at that panic response. That, that's just so remarkable to me because I mean, I work, I work a lot with breath work as well, but it's, it's, it never occurred to me to say, blow it out first, right? I know it's pretty strange and and sometimes that it could be a, quite a divergence from other systems of breath work um, but it makes so much sense right it's so much easier for somebody to know they know how to exhale right mm -hmm. <laughs> it might not be doing it but they might know. not be doing it but like <laughs> just even starting there and um it's you know you're talking about how it can help with low back pain and i actually was doing a little bit of research before we hopped on um uh to record and i found a study um, was relatively recently and about, was following four, 460 patients who were given Alexander lessons. Um, some were given massage and some were given like the usual care of painkillers and exercise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it looked at, at the year mark, those who had had massage were no better off. Um, those who had done, gone through six Alexander lessons had shown some improvement and mm -hmm. those who had gone 24 lessons um, had gone down from about 21 days of pain that the usual care group reported to three days of pain. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just this huge difference. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting in that study to point out that, yeah, the, that they were asking these people a year after the intervention. So they had their 24 lessons, but then they had a lot of time with nothing, but they had learned skills to learn to move differently. Um, even yeah. if they only had six lessons, they had learned some skills to move differently. So yeah, we like that study. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great study. <laughs> um, I, I just think that's, that's so remarkable because again, it's, to me, I really, I really value techniques that can go to the root cause. So mm -hmm. we're not just putting a bandaid on something. We're not popping a pill and like interventions exist mm -hmm. for a reason. And I am, I am so supportive of that, but I yes. really appreciate you know, these things are like, okay, we may need this intervention for a while, but how can we like, let's address the root cause of this low back pain, which is so common with pregnant and postpartum people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just having an extra set of eyes on there. It's, it's, I think it's just so magical. And I love that there are studies to back it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And in my own very, you know, total uh, here, you know, one case study, I started working with pregnant moms before I was pregnant myself. So I, I had beliefs about what was possible. I had beliefs that back pain wasn't necessary. Um, but then I, I got to practice it in a big way when I was pregnant with triplets. It's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> and, uh, 
And I found that, yeah, I mean, it's going to be different for every mom. I never want to make a claim that like you won't experience back pain. That's certainly not, that's not what I do. I just educate people to use their bodies more intelligently. And often that results in things working better. Are there common um, maladaptive practices that you see in pregnant and postpartum bodies? Yes. Um, The most, well, thrusting the hips forward, I would say. So there, we have to, when, when we are pregnant, we have to balance the weight. We have this extra mass in front that's growing every day (laughs) and we are going to adapt so as not to have our heads hit the, hit the pavement. I mean, we are really good at not having our heads hit the pavement and that's great. But the way in which we adapt to that weight is often maladaptive. So usually what happens is the, there's an arch in the low back. I mean, you think of it as sort of a typical pregnancy posture. There's a very pronounced arch in the low back. So the, the shoulders are thrust backward in order to counterbalance the mass of the belly. But then the belly gets shoved even farther forward, which means the shoulders need to get shoved farther back, which just is increasing and increasing and increasing that arch in the low back. So what I suggest to people is that they remember that there are other ways to counterbalance the mass. So I invite people to bring their hips. You might want to start it, you know, like holding onto something. (laughs) You don't want to fall over. But bringing the hips back and back and back and using your ankle joint. So if we shift back a little bit from the ankle joint, then we can counterbalance that mass in front with the weight of the whole body and prevent that stereotypical um, curve of the low back which is kind of hard to describe in words. I don't know if, if my description is being really helpful. Um, um, I'm, I'm, pra- I'm 30, almost 35 weeks pregnant right now. So I'm, good. I'm, You're practicing, it right I'm now. practicing it right now. Yes. No, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. fascinating. It's good to, uh, <laughs> to get to try it in action. Right. Right. Well, cause that you're talking about like that center of gravity changes and you know, we, we say, I'm like practicing, I'm over exaggerating. It's, it's stuff on a podcast. We should do like a video podcast at some point, yeah. um, <laughs> but you're right. We get pulled back or, or shoulder get pulled back, belly gets pulled forward. And especially if we don't have, I think, abdominal awareness mm-hmm. or the strength mm-hmm. to really find that position where we can feel supported, that low back does get crunched up and it can be extremely painful. Yep. And then, so tell me, tell me more about your, your pregnancy experience and, and things that you were implementing from this technique. Um, were there particular things that you found especially helpful or things you noticed? Well, I, I had lessons, Alexander technique lessons through my whole pregnancy, um, with several different colleagues of mine. And that was really helpful just to have some hands-on guidance. Um, but I, I mean, I wasn't doing that all the time. So I was practicing all, all the stuff. Um, and again, going back to these basic ideas of stopping, because it's only when I stopped that I would start to notice, oh, look what I'm doing now. Um, but I did have a fascinating, I, I, it was sort of funny that my doctor couldn't believe I didn't have pain. And every single time I would go in for an appointment, he would ask me, does your back hurt yet? And, um, you know, it was just sort of blew his mind that it, it never did. So 
of course I had to rest a lot and it was, it was really tiring, but I just had uh, some different skills of managing that mass than I would have had otherwise. Um, I was, that was my first semester actually teaching at Lewis and Clark. So I started the semester in January looking quite pregnant and I finished the semester at the end of April looking like a, a house <laughs> and I had my kids <laughs> 10 days later. So oh my gosh. They really got to witness me getting bigger than any human should get. <laughs> <laughs> that is remarkable. Bodies are so amazing. <laughs> they are. Yes. How many, if you don't mind me asking, how many weeks did you, did you carry? 34. 34. Wow. That is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Yeah, it was, I was pretty, I was pretty happy. Of course I was, I had, I had goals beyond that, but I sure. was perfectly happy with 34 weeks. That yeah. was a, a win. Um, so you talked about you, you, uh, you worked with several different, um, Alexander, people who have studied Alexander technique. Can you, can you talk about what to expect? So if I were to sign up for, for Alexander lessons, like what would I expect walking into that? Right. Well, then that's a really good point that I didn't, I don't think I was clear about that. Um, I am a certified Alexander technique teacher and all of these people that I worked with are as well. Um, to become a certified teacher, it takes three years of training and at least a minimum of 1600 hands-on hours. So it's a, it's a fairly arduous process. It's a little bit like getting a, a master's degree. <laughs> having had a master's degree before I started, I was like, oh, I'm getting another master's degree. Um, <laughs> and when one goes for lessons, it's usually taught one-on-one -on -one and the teacher typically puts hands on the student in order to give more information than, and, and I imagine that you do this sort of thing too. Um, although in this case, the information is very specific to the Alexander technique, but you know, you can, you can learn more about your person you're with by feeling what they're doing and you can influence them better by touching them and, uh, and showing them something different. So usually in an Alexander lesson, you look at basic everyday activities like how do I sit down? How do I stand up? How do I walk? How do I bend over? How do I reach for things? The things that we do all day long without ever paying any attention to. So we may attend to form when we're say working out or maybe playing our instrument if we're a musician, but most of the time we're not paying any attention to how we're moving. So we don't look at, oh, how am I unloading a dishwasher or how am I sitting at my computer or how am I getting in and out of the car? But in an Alexander lesson, you start to unpack those things and realize, wow, I'm, I'm damaging myself <laughs> in the way that I'm doing these things, in the automatic way that I'm doing these things, and relearning how to do them in more functional ways. Oh, that's so fascinating because, I mean, you're right. I mean, the amount of time we spend in the gym focused on form, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's like an, it's an hour, right, a, a day. Maybe longer, but I, I hope not. Um, <laughs> but then you're right. We go about the day and we're, we're mimicking, if you are coming from like a functional fitness standpoint, you're mimicking a lot of these movements in your day-to-day -day life, like, you know, yeah. picking up a bag of dirt and moving things or picking up a child, yes. but you may not be able to, um, sometimes that connection of, oh, I should be picking this up in the same way that I was picking up that heavy implement at the gym, like focusing on that form mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that breath and all of these things. And it's, oh, that's so fascinating. Um, 
they, I mean, we really have the opportunity to change so much about how we move through the world with these like common day-to-day things. Yes. And just by paying attention. Yeah. Oh, and we can go back to your exercise. I love that. Love <laughs> what you shared. Oh, this has been so fascinating. I feel like so helpful. Um, you know, in this kind of world that we are in right now, um, where we're all kind of distancing, can you, are there ways that, you know, beyond the, the ready list, but if I wanted to, um, you know, really connect with you or another Alexander, uh, are you called practitioners? I'm sorry. Is that the we right? usually, no, that's a great question. Cause we usually describe ourselves as teachers. teachers. And all of our language is, is educational. Sure. We, we're not any kind of, um, medical care provider or anything like that. We, right. we just help people learn things. So we are teachers who have students who come to lessons. Um, and that's typically how we describe ourselves. Sure. So my, I have a, my own website, which I, um, I think you have. Yeah. We'll link to it and, in the show notes for sure. Yeah. I figured that that would, that would be linked to an imbalance. Alexander technique is my business where I all the stuff um, for for anyone interested in learning more or signing up for lessons or reading my blog. I write a lot about this stuff in particular, like how this work helps me cope with parenting. Yes. (laughs) My new thing I've been thinking is barely coping. coping. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah. And then if someone is anywhere in the world can find an Alexander Technique teacher, in the United States, there's an organization called AMSAT, which is our professional organization, the American Society for Teachers of the Alexander Technique. Um, and from there, one could find teachers all over the world. Amazing. Amazing. I think so. It's not, it's not just reserved friends for musicians and theater people. <laughs> it's really not. <laughs> it's really not. I just think of so many people, even beyond parents, that this could be so helpful. Like We just don't have to move through our life in pain or in stress. Um, that there's so much more to this. Yes. Oh, Eve, this has been so wonderful. And I just really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Well, it was really fun for me, Liz. And also, you know, just with everything going on in the world and I thought, ah, am I going to be able to have this conversation and actually having this conversation is very grounding. So I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Same boat over here. So I just really appreciate the ability to connect. It's been so nice. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Beyond Birth Podcast. If you love what you're hearing, we'd be so thrilled if you'd subscribe, rate, and leave a review for our podcast wherever you enjoy listening. Until next time.